Okay, I'm starting a new episode because I want to dedicate this episode solely for the first kiss. Because if we say book four is mainly, or maybe we should say movie four, the fourth installment of the movie is about Hermione being pretty. Hermione being in that pink dress. It's actually a blue dress. I've read it to you in the book. But then book five is definitely known as the Harry's first kiss movie. So if you know nothing about the movie or the plots, the scale of the Wizarding World, at least you know those gossips. So I'm going to dedicate this episode to the first kiss scene, just so you know it has so much more to it. Just then, Harry and Cho kissed under the mistletoe. It has a description of the aftermath, which I really think it deserved an appearance in the movie because it's so important in like building up Harry's character and the growing up. This chapter, the Eye of the Dragon, the Eye of the Snake. Actually, has three distinct plot points. I think one being the Thestral, and two is this last the egg meeting, and Harry had the first kiss, and three is Harry channeling Voldemort in that dream, and Mister Weasley being attacked. Hence the title, the Eye of the Snake. So I dedicate this part. I took it out from this chapter, but all these are in the same chapter, chapter twenty-one. Okay. So all right, Harry will spend Christmas at the Burrow with the Weasleys, and he's very happy about it. But he also felt guilty about leaving Sirius Black alone in that old house of his. And then cut to the last DA meeting. Harry arrived early in that room of requirements, and Dobby had already taken it upon himself to decorate the place for Christmas. Now more and more, you just understand why. Dobby is a fan favorite, right? And why Harry knew it's Dobby who did it because nobody else would have strung a hundred golden baubles from the ceiling, each showing a picture of Harry's face. Oh wow, that is quite the same, right? And bearing the legend, have a very Harry Christmas. Oh, we should ha- absolutely do this. Using this banner, have a very clear Christmas. So Harry wanted it to take them down. I mean, you can leave it there. Just right after he did it, took everything down. I get the last of them down. Luna walked in. Here, this scene I think is in the audition. Like when the actress who played Luna auditioned for this role. I think she talked about how they asked her to screen test with Daniel Radcliffe of this scene. So Luna walked in very dreamily, as always. Hello. These are nice. Did you put them up? No, it was Dobby, the house elf. Mistletoe said Luna dreamily, pointing at a large clump of white berries placed almost over Harry's head. And what did Harry do? Harry jumped out from under it. It's like why? And Luna said, "Good thinking. It's often infested with nargos. That's where the nargos are from." But in the movie, we were introduced to these nargos in the very beginning, when Luna made the first appearance, and Harry was saved the necessity of asking what nargos were by the arrival of Angelina, Katie, and Alicia. So the Quidditch team, all three of them, were breathless and looked very cold. Here, Angelina told Harry, "Like we finally replaced you. Replaced me? You and Fred and George. We've got another seeker." Who? Ginny Weasley. Yes, none other than Ginny. Just like they said, no one realized that Ginny actually was the most powerful Weasley. Harry was like so gaped at her. It's like, yeah, I know, but she's pretty good, actually. Nothing on you, of course. But as we can't have you, here it says Harry bit back the retort he was longing to utter. Did she imagine for a second that he did not regret his expulsion from the team a hundred times more than she did? There were two other. Boys Andrew and Jack is going to replace the Weasley twins as the beaters. 
Alicia said neither of them are brilliant, but compared to the rest of the idiots who turned up. Later, the arrival of Ron, Hermione, and Neville brought this depressing discussion to an end, and within five minutes, the room was full enough to prevent Harry seeing Angelina's burning, reproachful looks. Harry just said, "Because it's the last meeting before the holidays, so there is no point starting anything new right before a three-week break." And that gets Zachary Smith said, "We're not doing anything new." If I'd known that, I wouldn't have come. Well, oh, really? Sorry, Harry didn't tell you then," said Fred loudly. Didn't J.K. Rowling said once she wanted to ride Hermione and Fred together? And several people sniggered. And they all practice in pairs, and they do the impediment jinx. Then the stunning again. Then at the end of an hour, Harry called a halt. You're getting really good. When we get back from the holidays, we can start doing some of the big stuff. Maybe even Patronuses. There was a murmur of excitement. The room began to clear in as usual twos and threes. Most people wished Harry a happy Christmas, and they went feeling cheerful. He collected up the cushions with Ron Hermione and stacked them neatly away. Ron Hermione left before he did. He hung back a little because Cho was still there, and he was hoping to receive a Merry Christmas from her. And even better because he heard her say to her friends, "Marietta, no, you go on." And his heart gave a joy. That seemed to take it into the region of his Adam's apple. I totally get that feeling when you just want to hang back a little and talk to your crush before everyone left for the holidays, and you want to say you pretend you just want to say Merry Christmas, you know, something festivity, you know, but actually you just want to spend some quiet. Alone time with your crush, and here is like even better. Cho even asked her giggling friend to go on. Like, what are the chances? So first, Harry keep on pretending to be straightening the cushion pile, and he was quite sure they were alone now, and waited for her to speak. Why don't you speak, Harry? You are a boy. But instead, he heard a hearty sniff because Cho was crying. Cho was standing in the middle of the room, tears pouring down her face. What? Harry, Harry didn't know what to say, and she was simply standing there crying silently. Finally, Harry said, "What's up?" She shook her head and wiped her eyes on her sleeve. She's probably thinking, "Finally, you spoke." I'm, I'm sorry. I suppose it's just learning all this stuff. It just makes me wonder whether if he'd known it all, it's like if Cedric's known it all, he would be still alive. And Harry's heart just sunk right back, and he just realized, oh, she just wanted to talk about Cedric, but he didn't know this stuff. He was really good at it, or he could never have got to the middle of that maze. But if Voldemort really wants to kill you, you don't stand a chance. You survived when you were just a baby. Yeah, well, I I don't know why, nor does anyone else. So it's nothing to be proud of. Harry said, and moving towards the door. Oh, don't go! I'm really sorry to get all upset like this. I didn't mean to. He hiccoughed again, and she was really very pretty, even when her eyes were red and puffy. Oh, Harry, couldn't you just see it? She just won't talk about like being vulnerable, so you can be there for her. And can you imagine Harry being this like moving towards the door, and Cho has to say it out loud like "Don't go." And what Harry was thinking is like he felt thoroughly miserable, have been so pleased with just a Merry Christmas. I think Harry was thinking, okay, I would just I would be just pleased and content with a Merry Christmas from Cho before the holidays, and Cho actually asked her friends to go ahead, and so Harry had his. Hopes up. It's like, oh, maybe she wanted to spend some alone time with me. Let's see what's going to happen. And when she'll just start to cry and being also upset and talk about Cedric, and Harry is just like, oh, I'm gonna go. Like, I don't want to deal with this crying girl. I was like, just want to spend some sweet time with my pretty girl. Not this sad face. I don't know what to do with this sadness. 
not to say Harry was like insensible, but just like he doesn't know, he doesn't get it. So he was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna go." But Cho has to be, as we will see, Cho has to ask. Cho has to take the active role to push the relationship forwards. And Cho said, "I know it must be horrible for you, me mentioning Cedric when you saw him die. I suppose you just wanted to forget about it." Harry did not say anything to this because it was quite true, <laughs> but he felt heartless to say. To say it out loud, so he felt heartless saying it, so he just didn't say anything. So again, Cho has to kind of fumbling around, looking for topics like more appropriate subjects to talk about with Harry. So Cho said, "You are a really good teacher, you know. I've never been able to stun anyone before." Thanks," said Harry awkwardly. They looked at each other for a long moment, and Harry felt a burning desire to run from the room, and at the same time, a complete inability to move his feet. I mean, that's the gesture when you have to stare at each other for long moments. When you get there, it's time to lean in to kiss. But obviously, Harry here just wanted to run, and Cho just said quietly, "Mistletoe." And what Harry said, "Yeah, it's probably full of nuggles, though." What are nuggles? No idea. And she had moved closer. His brain seems to have been stunned, and he kept on talking. You'd have to ask Looney Luna. I mean, I mean, Cho already moved closer, and you said this. So Cho made a funny noise, and she was even nearer to him now. And Harry could have counted the freckles on her nose. Oh, Harry, take the hint. And finally, she has to say it out loud. I really like you, Harry. And he could not think. A tingling sensation was spreading through him. Oh yeah, tingling, tingling, do something, Mister Tingling and Mister Feeling all sorts of feelings in your stomach, Mister. Who cannot take a hint? So this is a tingling sensation paralyzing his arms, legs, and brain. And she was much too closer. He could see every tear clinging to her eyelashes. Mwah. And cut too. The common room. You didn't know that, right? J.K. Rowling didn't write the whole kissing scene. I remember from an interview, she said she didn't want to write it out. It's like this is the first kiss that belongs to Harry, so it's kind of like she wanted to protect the privacy of it. Don't leave yet, because the second half, the aftermath of it, is actually gold. I really wondered why they didn't make it into the movie. So Harry returned to the common room half an hour later, half an hour, and find Hermione and Ron in the best seats. Now this is my favorite scene. I will say it again and again. The trio in the best seats by the fire. Studying, discussing, or talk—just whatever they do—is just my favorite thing to look and imagine. So, what are they doing? Hermione was writing a very long letter. She had already filled half a row of parchment. Ron was lying on the hearthrug, trying to finish his transfiguration homework. What kept you? Ron asked, and Harry didn't answer. He was in a state of shock, <laughs> like half-half. Half of him wanted to tell them. But the other half wanted to take the secret with him to the grave. He didn't. When he didn't talk, Hermione just asked, "Are you alright, Harry?" And he just shrugged. It's like honestly, he doesn't know. He doesn't know whether he was alright or not. Now all the silence finally get their interest, because Ron here hoisting himself up on his elbow to get a clearer view of Harry. What's up? What's happened? And again, meets Harry silent because he had decided not to say anything. Is it Cho? Hermione asked in a business-like way. Did she corner you after the meeting? Pretty much cornered. Say,、so, oh, don't go, Harry. Numbly surprised, Harry nodded. Ah,、uh, Ron just sniggered like, get him a. So, um, what did she want? Harry finally opened his mouth. She, um,、uh, she. Did you kiss? Asked Hermione briskly. And Ron just like, ooh, that's interesting. And set up so fast, he sent his ink bottle flying over the rug and stared 
Avili at Harry. Well, he demanded, and Harry nodded. We can see here Ron's got a face of curiosity, and Hermione's had a slight frown. And then Ron made a triumphant gesture with his fist and went into the raucous peal of laughter that made several timid-looking second years over beside the window jump. Oh, I thought it's almost empty. So there's still some timid-looking second years witnessing their discussion of Harry's first kiss. So yeah, Ron just made this triumphant gesture with his fist and just make some loud laughter noise. It's raucous. Harry just had a grin, but it's pretty reluctant. And Hermione just gave Ron a look of deep disgust. Didn't say anything. Hermione just kept on writing her letter. Only the boys would care about those things because Ron asked, "How was it?" Wet. He said truthfully. To this, Ron made a noise. It was hard to tell. Is this noise a jubilation or disgust? So what do you mean, wet? <laughs> And Harry continued, like because she was crying. Oh, are you that bad at kissing? Don't know. Maybe I am. Actually, Harry was really thinking about this. Like felt rather worried. And this is so iconic. Hermione just said, "Of course you're not." How'd you know? Said Ron very sharply. <sighs> Because Cho spends half her time crying these days. She does it at meal times, in the loos, all over the place. You'd think a bit of kissing would cheer her up. Ron, you are the most insensitive wart I have ever had the misfortune to meet. What's that supposed to mean? Ron just doesn't get it. And he asks, "What sort of person cries while someone's kissing them?" And actually, Harry had the same question. Said,、like, "Yeah, who does?" Hermione looked at the pair of them with an almost pitying expression on her face. Don't you understand how Cho's feeling at the moment? No,、nope, said Harry and Ron together. Hermione sighed and laid down her quill. Well, obviously she's feeling very sad because of Cedric dying. Then I expect she was feeling confused because she liked Cedric and now she likes Harry, and she can't work out who she likes best. Then she'll be feeling guilty, thinking it's an insult to Cedric's memory to be kissing Harry at all, and she'll be worrying about what everyone else might say about her if she starts going out with Harry, and she probably can't work out what what her feelings towards Harry are anyway because. He was the one who was with Cedric when Cedric died, so that's all very mixed up and painful. Oh, and she's afraid she's going to be thrown off the Ravenclaw Quidditch team because she's been flying so badly. One person can't feel all that at once. They'd explode. Then the iconic line comes up: "Just because you've got the emotional range of a teaspoon doesn't mean we all have." And that's where in the movies the trio start to laugh, right? And Emma Watson that. Horrible laughing, but it's not finished yet. Harry said she was the one who started it. I wouldn't have. She just sort of came at me, and next thing she was crying all over me, and I, I didn't know what to do. Don't blame you, mate. And Hermione probably thinks they are hopeless. <laughs> you just had to be nice to her. She also looked anxiously, like you were, weren't you? Well, said Harry, an unpleasant heat creeping up his face. I sort of patted her on the back a bit. Hermione looked as though she was re- restraining herself from rolling her eyes with extreme difficulty. Well, I suppose it could have been worse. Are you going to see her again? Meaning date? But Harry didn't get it. Harry just like I will have to, won't I? We've got DA meetings, haven't we? You know what I mean," said Hermione impatiently. Yes, about dating. Harry said nothing. Hermione's words opened up a whole new vista of frightening possibilities. He tried to imagine going somewhere with Cho. Hogsmeade, perhaps, and being alone with her for hours at a time. Of course, she would have been expecting him to ask her out after what had just happened. But the thought made his stomach clench painfully. At this moment, I was like, "Oh, so actually, Harry didn't want to ask her out, but just wait for it." And Hermione said, "Oh well, you have plenty of opportunities to ask her." 
And Ron said, "What if he doesn't want to ask her?" I think Ron here can read Harry's mind. Don't be silly. Harry's liked her for ages, haven't you, Harry? Again, Harry did not answer. Yes, he had liked Cho for ages, but whenever he had imagined a scene involving the two of them, it had always featured a Cho who was enjoying herself, as opposed to a Cho who was sobbing uncontrollably into his shoulder. Finally, the scene cut to Ron ask Hermione, "Who are you writing the novel to, anyway?" Victor Crumb. How many other victors do we know? Well, now Ron is jealous. Ron said nothing but looked disgruntled, and they sat there in silence for another twenty minutes. They just all do their things. Hermione writing the letters, and Ron just finishing his essays with many snorts. And Harry would wishing on anything that Sirius' head would appear in the fire and gave him some advice about girls. Well, night said Hermione. Yawning widely as she set up, set off up the girls' staircase. What does she see in Crom? As the boys, like Harry and Ron, climb the boys' stairs. Well, Harry said, I suppose he's older, isn't he? And he's an international Quidditch player. Yeah, but apart from that, I mean, he's a grouchy kid, isn't he? Bit grouchy, yeah," said Harry, whose thoughts were still on Cho. I mean, yeah, Victor Crumb is a bit grumpy and bad-tempered. It's almost almost always seemed to be irritable, just like they said, grouchy. But he is an international Quidditch player, yes. So they went back to the dormitory. This last bit is when Harry had a nightmare. Actually, first some silly dreams, and then cut to the nightmare. Channeling Voldemort, so Harry did not close the hangings around his four posters. Instead, he stared at the patch of the starry sky visible through the window next to Neville's bed. So we know Neville's bed was right next to the window. He was just thinking and picturing. It's like if he had known this time last night that in twenty-four hours' time he would have kissed Cho Chan. At this time, Ron grunted, "Night," and Harry responded, "Night." Maybe next time, if there was a next time. She'd be a bit happier. He ought to have asked her out. She had probably been expecting it and was now really angry with him. Or was she lying in bed still crying about Cedric? He did not know what to think. Hermione's explanation had made it all seem more complicated rather than easier to understand. Oh, that's what they should teach us here. He thought. How girls' brains work. It'd be more useful than divination anyway. So okay, the, the next thing was the dreams. Harry dreamed he was back in the DA room. Cho was accusing him of luring her there under false pretenses. She said he had promised her a hundred and fifty chocolate frog cards if she showed up. Harry protested. Cho shouted, "Cedric gave me loads of chocolate frog cards. Look!" And she pulled out loads of cards and threw them into the air. And then she turned into Hermione, <laughs> who said, "You did promise her, you know, Harry. I think you'd better give her something else instead. How about your fairy ball?" Then the Christmas bubbles in the DA meeting room. This time around, in the dream, shaped like Dobby's head. And then the dream changed. Okay, we can come back to the main plot now. So in this chapter, we've already seen Thistles and the entrance to the Department of Mysteries. So in this dream, Harry dreams that Arthur Weasley is attacked by a snake, which is himself. Like Harry is the snake attacking Ron's father. 
And this is not just a dream; it actually happens. And Harry awakens in a panic and vomiting everything, puking. It's just like very sick, and tells others. And then Neville won't get Professor McGonagall, and Professor McGonagall took Harry to Dumbledore finally. And Harry just kept on saying, "I'm not crazy. I I really dreamed this, and it actually occurred." And then they cut to next chapter, chapter twenty-two, Saint Mango's Hospital for magical maladies and injuries. That's why I say it's so wonderfully connected because at The minute we thought Harry might be mentally troubled, let's call it, and the next chapter was Saint Mango's Hospital. So actually, the whole dream sequence was wonderfully written. It was first Harry just saw it from the snake's eyes view, right? And there was a man, and then. Only later he realized that man is Mr. Weasley because the snake doesn't know. The snake doesn't know who this man was. So first, when Harry moved into the dream, felt his body smooth, powerful, and flexible, and he was gliding between shiny metal bars across dark, cold stone. It's very important because Harry see everything like he was flat against the floor, sliding along on his belly. Here we have a like description about the Department of Mysteries. It was dark, yet he could see objects around him shimmering in a strange, vibrant colors. So at first there was no one there, but no, a man was sitting on the floor ahead, his chain dripping on. To his chest, his outline gleaming in the dark. And Harry put out his tongue. He tasted the man's scent on the air. He was alive but drowsy, sitting in front of a door at the end of the corridor. Harry longed to bite the man, but he must muster the impulse. He had more important work to do. But the man was stirring. A silver cloak fell from his legs. He jumped to his feet, and Harry saw his vibrate blur outline towering above him. So a wand was drawn from about. He had no choice. He rolled high from the floor and struck once, twice, three times, plunging his fangs deeply into the man's flesh. Feeling his ribs splinter beneath his jaws, feeling the warm gush of blood, the man was yelling in pain. Then he fell silent. He slumped backwards against the wall. Blood was splattering onto the floor. Harry felt his forehead hurt terribly. It was aching fit to burst. Harry, Harry! He opened his eyes. Every inch of his body was covered in icy sweat. Ron was standing over him, looking extremely frightened. There was more figures at the foot of Harry's bed. He rolled right over and vomited over the the edge of the mattress. So anyway, in the dream, it's Nagini. I think the snake attacked、uh, Mr. Weasley. In the beginning, Nagini doesn't want to attack. The snake has other more important thing to do. But Mr. Weasley spotted the snake, I think, and Mr. Weasley drawn the wand out. And Nagini has to attack Mr. Weasley. And pretty gorn, the thing is pretty gorn, just like once, twice, three times. And I think this one was also vividly shown in the movies, right? Less horrifying, but it's still shown. I think the camera works. At- They did a decent job on showing like Harry seeing from the snake's eyes view, and at this moment we still don't know who that man was. So right, so far, I mean, if you read the text from the book, now we don't know. But here it says Harry, he had to tell Ron. It was very important that he tell him. So Harry pushed himself up in bed. It's like your dad. He panted. Your dad's being attacked. So it's like in the dream, Harry. Harry did not just have a dream. Harry actually see it from the. The snake's eyes, but because he was inside the snake's body, so he doesn't know who that man was. It's just some wizards. But now aw- awoken from the dream, Harry knew 
It's like it's Mr. Weasley. But Ron was like, "What? Your dad? He's being bitten. It's serious. There was blood everywhere. Harry, mate, you you were just dreaming. No, it wasn't dream. Not an ordinary dream. I was there. I saw it. I did it. Harry, you're not well. Neville's gone for help." I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. It's your dad. You've got to worry about. We need to find out where he is. He's bleeding like mad. I was. It was a huge snake. Also, Harry tried to get out of the bed, but Ron pushed him back into it. Oh, can you imagine that? Harry is like probably. I don't know. I can't imagine the pain in his forehead, and then he was still vomiting, sweating, and shivering feverishly. And then he heard Neville's voice again. Over here, Professor. And Professor McGonagall came hurrying into the dormitory in her tartan dressing gown. And in the movies, we only get from the dream to Professor McGonagall take Harry to see Dumbledore, and also she was in her dressing gown. So even though they didn't film this whole thing, but they did follow through. Some of the plot, some of the details. I appreciate that.、But、what is it, Potter? Where does it hurt? And Harry had never been so pleased to see her. It's Ron's dad. He's being attacked by a snake, and it's serious. I saw it happen. What do you mean you saw it happen? I don't know. I was asleep, and then I was there. You mean you dreamed this? No, I was having a dream at first about something completely different, something stupid, and then this interrupted it. It was real. I didn't imagine it. Mr. Weasley was asleep on the floor, and he was attacked by a gigantic snake. There was a load of blood. He collapsed. Someone's got to find out where he is. And Professor McGonagall was gazing at him. I'm not lying, and I'm not mad. I tell you, I saw it happen. I believe you, Potter. Put on your dressing gown. We're going to see the headmaster. And turn the page. Chapter twenty-two. Sam Mango's hospital for magical maladies and injuries. Harry was so relieved she was taking him seriously that he did not hesitate, but jumped out of the bed at once, put on his dressing gown, and Weasley, you ought to come too," said Professor McGonagall. 